Well, good morning, and I just want to greet each one in the name of Jesus. It's always a little scary to go to a strange church, but I walked in here and realized that there's really not that many strangers here. A lot of you are parents of people I went to school with, and uh, yeah, I went to school there at Fairhaven, so I've been in this church house several times for programs and things like that. So it's, it's a blessing to be here this morning. I've enjoyed the, the service so far, the devotional this morning on not forgetting about God. And that's, that's kind of our focus here this morning as well as we think about the topic that I was assigned on Christians and civil government. And I appreciate your comment there, Alvin, on, on the two groups here in, in Romans 13. And if we, if we look at the Bible and we take that literally and we say, okay, there's, there's two groups, there's the there's the, the they, the, the government, the world, and then there's us, and it gives us some instructions here. I think we could all just probably read that and, and, and go home. But I think too many times we forget. Maybe we get a little too tangled up into who we actually are or who we are supposed to represent As I, as I studied and prepared for this, I obviously my mind went to, to Romans chapter 13, first of all, but there's, there's other things that, that came into my mind as I, I read different verses, looked through the scripture on some of these things, and the, tit- or the, the assignment was given as Christians in civil government, but I've, I've entitled the message this morning, Citizens of Heaven. I think it's important that we first of all realize who we are, not only who we are, but whose we are and to, who, and to whom we belong. A question that I came across several months ago that, that might seem a little, you might think first of all, well, of course, but I challenge you just to think about this. And the question just is, what if Jesus actually meant what he said? As we read the teachings in the Bible, we read Jesus' teachings, what if Jesus really meant that? And we say, well, of course he did. But do we live that way? Do we live, do we follow those teachings as if Jesus really actually meant that? So as we think about being citizens of heaven, as we think about our relationship with with people, with the government of, of this, this world. I had to think of, as, you know, as most of us have probably traveled outside of the country, outside of the United States, whether it's into Canada or into Mexico or flying across the seas somewhere, every time we do that, we're very aware that we cross from one country into another. We're very aware of, we're no longer in the U.S. We're no longer in our country, we would say. We pass through security guards, checkpoints. There's customs officials. They check our passports. Make sure you have the right visas. Depends where you're going. They stamp your documents. They want to know what you're doing here, how long you're going to be here. 
and maybe many other questions sometimes. But we see those border crossings, we, we, we know we're coming to that border. We come up there and we realize that this is going to happen as we, as we cross from our country to, to another country, to a strange country. I believe the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is also a very real, a very real kingdom, a very re real government, could you say? But it's very different from the ones that we experience here on this earth. There's no specific customs booth or security checkpoint that you can walk up to and say, okay, now I entered into the kingdom of heaven. I, I crossed this line here on the, here on the dirt, and now I'm in, in another country. And yet, yet I believe this kingdom... I know, according to the Bible, this kingdom of God was, it existed before the earth was even here. We're told in, in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created. God created the earth. God created the first man and woman. And it was after it was after the fall of man and, and when man populated the earth that these forms of, of civil government, as we call them, became, would we say, maybe necessary. And we'll touch on that in a little bit. But this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, I believe, as I said, it existed before the earth was here and it will continue to exist into all eternity after all, after all these earthly governments and kingdoms are are past and gone, God's kingdom will still stand. And I believe it's important to realize that since the fall of man, I believe many of these emperors, tyrants at times, and different people that arose, and it's, it's more obvious in some than others, but they have been trying to, I believe, fix and restore the way that God had originally created the earth. I believe man is continue, continuously trying to make things better, to try and get things, make things to, they may not admit it, but bring things back to how God wanted it. But I believe it's important that we realize that it is only God and his kingdom, God and his power that will someday bring all these things back to himself. We believe that God's heavenly kingdom has been brought to this earth, it was introduced by his son, Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we as Christians are citizens and subjects of that kingdom. And I believe in being citizens and subjects of, of God's kingdom, we need to realize that we're not to be part of the political, can we say economic, and all the other things that are part of the kingdom of this world. And I realize we live in this world. We need, we need to support ourselves. I'm not, I'm not saying that we just you know, live and don't, don't worry about anything. But I believe it's important that we don't get too wrapped up in those, in those things of these earthly kingdoms. God's people are called to make his kingdom visible wherever we are. 
And I believe it's important that there's a clear distinction between the citizens of this world's kingdom and the ones of God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9, it's the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples had asked him to teach them to pray, and then Jesus gave them this Lord's Prayer. And the phrase I want to just emphasize a little bit is the, the phrase where he says, Thy kingdom come. As we pray that, we are asking for God's, God's kingdom to come here on this earth. And then, the, then there's a phrase that says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. As I said, I believe God's people, we as his church, are that representation of his kingdom and his, his will on this earth. There are only two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I'm going to read a few verses from Titus as well. He talks there in Titus about being a peculiar people. Titus chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. It says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. And that word translated there just simply means to be moved from one place, from one distinct place to another. So I believe God wants to move us from, says there, this, this present evil world. He wants to move us from that and he wants us in his kingdom. And as he does that, I believe it should become obvious that we have crossed a border. We are now in another country. We are now, would we say, in enemy territory. As I mentioned, God's kingdom always was. But I believe many times man is, man is blinded to God's kingdom. Man could not see it. Man is born into the, into the natural, into the earthly. We're born with a sinful nature. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God promised a new covenant. God promised, or God showed us through his word, through his son Jesus here on this earth, that that's not where he wants us to stay. God promised his people a new heart and a new mind. He told them in Ezekiel that he would give his spirit to work in his people and that he would write his laws on their hearts. God, through his son Jesus, made it possible 
for us to be born a second time. This time, we're born into the spiritual world, and we, are then, we then become spiritually alive. And I believe as we are, so as we think again about we were born here in, in America, in the United States, we are, because of that, citizens of this, this earthly country. But God wants us to be born into his, into his country, into his spiritual kingdom. And as we are born into that, we then become citizens of heaven, which makes us, we might say, dual citizens. And I, and I believe that may be correct. We are still citizens of this country, but I think we also need to to realize that as we become citizens of God's country, as we become citizens of heaven, that is our primary citizenship. And that is, that is who we serve, that is who we follow. John 3, verse 3 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I believe that's why so many times Christians, and I realize in this country we have a lot of freedom. Many countries, they cannot get together and gather like this just openly. But it tells us that if a man's not born again, he cannot see God's kingdom. And what exactly that, that word see there means, but I, I believe there's... I believe many of the, the rulers throughout the world do not realize what God's kingdom is. They can't see it. They know there's a power there, and they see it. They, they think it's a, a conflicting power, a power that is working against them. I believe that's many times why there's so much persecution, why there's so much opposition to, to Christianity, to people that are living out God's commands. Because these people have not been born into this country. They can't see this country. They don't realize what it is. They just see it as an opposing force and something that, something that they need to stamp out, something they need to conquer. Turn with me now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 11. It's talking of Jesus here. It says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but of man. And he goes on there in verse 14 to talk of talking about Jesus. He says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Our first birth, our natural birth, I believe through that we receive the nature of, of Adam. We receive a fallen sinful nature. But according to these verses here in John, when we are born again, when we are born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When we become born, after, when we become born of the will of God, I believe we receive, we receive, would we say, the nature of God? We're told in Genesis that we were created after his image. But I believe as we become born again, when, we, when our hearts change and we, we have that desire to follow after God and his spirit fills us, I believe we are that I believe we are then born into the nature of God as well. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two and verse nine. It says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. And verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto us, given to us of God. So just verses again confirming that when we become part of God's family, part of his kingdom, he reveals himself to us through his spirit. And we can then see those things. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It tells us we can be partakers of his divine nature. So what does this have to do with civil government? I hope we're getting a little bit of a picture of who God wants us to be, of who we are and whose we are. And I believe that will make it a little clearer on how we understand, how we look at, and how we relate to civil government. Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. I believe an important question as we think of this, is have we been born again? Have you been born again? We're told if we're not born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. I trust this morning we are born again. And if so, we're then part of God's kingdom. Do we believe that Jesus, our king, means every word that he spoke in the Bible. Do we believe that Jesus meant what he spoke in the Bible? The Bible, I believe, is easy to understand. Now, there's times when we say, wow, that, that verse is hard, or that's, that's, you know, that's tough. But the Bible is easy to understand. There's people that 
are not Christians. There's people that do not know God, and they, they begin reading his word. They can soon begin to understand things about God. Many people have been drawn to God just simply by reading his word. I just want to read a few paragraphs here from a, uh, written by a man named Soren Kierkegaard. He makes some fairly strong or maybe even some negative statements in here about a few things, but I, I believe he's correct. I just want to read it. It says, The matter is simple. The Bible is easy to understand. But we Christians are scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are then obliged to act accordingly. Take any word in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. You might say, but if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. And how will I ever get anywhere in this world? He goes on, he says, herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church's invention to defend itself against the Bible, to ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. Dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. It is even more dreadful to be alone with the New Testament. Now, that might sound kind of negative on on Christian scholarship, Christian academies, and things like that. And I believe they have their place, but I think it's important, as as he stated here, that as we read the New Testament, as we read Jesus' teachings, any of Jesus' teachings, not just the ones on civil government and, and, and that, but all of Jesus' teachings, I believe it's important that we forget everything else, we lay everything else aside, and we pledge ourselves to act accordingly. Yes, there are times that I believe it will look like it could ruin our life, but which life will it ruin? I believe it will only draw us closer to God, our King, because really we are only here on this earth as pilgrims and strangers. Jesus put his teachings into two simple words. Follow me. I believe as we we look through the Bible, we look through the New Testament especially, and we look at Jesus' teachings, it comes down to follow me. Jesus was a perfect, perfect example of, for every area of our lives. And then I ask the question, can a person be a follower of Christ without following Christ? Can we claim to be Christians without following what he taught? And I believe that's the hard part. The hard part is the following part because following Jesus leads to the cross. Jesus said, if you do not take up the cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple." This simply means dying, completely dying to self, which is simple. It's one command. It's simple, but it's not easy. Romans chapter 8, 
verse 35 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we follow God, follow Jesus, we take up the cross, we die to self. Paul is telling us here in Romans that nothing can separate us from God, and he will see us through. After he was defeated, the Emperor Napoleon was exiled to an island off the coast of Africa. And he wrote in his, in his journal or in his diary, he wrote this. He said, I know men. Jesus is not a mere man. There is no comparison between Jesus and all other men. And then he lists a few. Alexander the Great, Caesar, and myself have founded empires. But we rested everything upon force, upon our force. Jesus founded his empire on love. And at this very hour, there are millions of people willing to die for him. Again, you may be wondering what all this has to do with Christians and their relation to civil government. But I believe Napoleon's statement there says it well. All the kingdoms of this earth are based, are, are, are living on, on their force, just simply their, their force, their own power. God's kingdom is established on love. And I believe many people don't realize that power of love and that just the millions of people that are willing to die because of that love. Back to Romans chapter 13. So we think about civil government and their purpose. It tells us here in Romans 13, it, it plainly tells us what their purpose is. In, in verse 3, it says that the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. It tells us we don't need to be afraid of them. Do that which is good, and, and you'll have praise of the same. It says they'll, they'll honor that. And we know there are... There are many governments around that, that work completely against God. And even though you may not, even though Christians may not, would we say, cause trouble in this kind of way, they don't do evil. They don't commit robberies and murders and things that the government is called to suppress. But governments work against God as well. But as a rule, I believe we can, we realize that here in this country at least, that if we do that which is good, if we follow the laws of the land, we have nothing to fear from our rulers. It goes on in verse 4. It tells us that he is a minister of God to us for good. And again, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. 
1 Timothy 1, verse 8 and 9 says, But we know that the law is good, and if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a, right, for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers. Probably the most... We say that the most that we come in contact with with civil government or the, the things that we realize more is, I think traffic laws is one thing that comes to my mind as we drive the roads, we see the police, you know, they're there as a minister of God, I believe, to, to protect, to make sure people follow the posted speed limits, follow the, the other posted signs and the way, the way that traffic is supposed to work. There's others, local local laws in, in different townships and cities and municipalities all have their own, you know, different ways of interpreting some laws. And I believe as, as Christians, we are called to, to follow those laws. We are called to be, to be obedient to those laws. I think it's also important to, to realize that we're also called to a higher standard and at times when God's, at times when the, the laws of this land conflict with God's laws, it is important that we obey God rather than man. So thinking again of, of civil government, as we go back into the Old Testament, and we look at the way God permitted Israel to have a king. We would say Israel was God's chosen people. They were God's, God's people here on this earth. And God was their ruler. God was guiding them. And yet they wanted a king. They said they want a king because they want to be like the people around them. In Judges chapter 8 verse 22, Israel wanted to make Gideon their king. But Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. I believe Gideon realized that even though he was called of God to lead Israel into that battle, that it was God that was the king, and he was not going to take that place. I think we know the story. Israel kept asking God, begging God for a king. And when God finally did permit Israel to have a king, he told Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And I believe that at that time, it, it seems that Israel may have switched from, well, they switched from seeing God as their king to now having Saul as their first king. Did they switch from a spiritual king to a to an earthly king to a civil government the way they began operating as a people be, became a lot like the nations around them the king would call the shots their men had to go become his servants they had to you know they had to support this king they had to support him building his house building his palace and many things like that As we think of the kingdom of God, 
The kingdom of God, I believe, has a, has a special place on this earth. God still gives us earthly governments, but many times earthly government was given, we could say, was given to people in, in a rebuke. It was given to those who wanted to live by the law and to fear the sword. I just want to read a few verses in Hosea. Hosea chapter 13, verse 9 through 11. It says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou of whom thou saidest, give me a king and a prince. I will give thee a king in mine, sorry, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. I believe it made God angry when they ask for a king. It says, I, I gave him, I gave you a king in, in anger, but then I took that king away in my wrath. Daniel chapter four, verse 17 says, the matter is by the degree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. I believe if we take that verse literally, it, it's just simply saying that God puts in place the kings that he wants there, God takes away kings when he wants them to be finished or when he's finished with them he he takes them down again governmental authority was not given in grace but out of wrath the prophets spoke of a time when the when when the way of god would be restored and i think we see that in in isaiah first of all isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, says, and it, shall, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I think it gives us a glimpse of, of what God's desire is for mankind. His desire is to be the ruler. His desire is to rule as supreme. And where God does rule now, and we can be part of that kingdom, I do believe there is coming a time when he will be the only ruler. He will rule, he will rule without, without challenge, without anybody going against him. Isaiah chapter 9 in reading verse 2 as well, it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. The joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as man rejoice 
when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff off his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is confused is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this thing, sorry, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Is that the king that we serve? Is that the kingdom that we want to be a part of? I trust it is. This is the Jesus that came to redeem us. This is Jesus that we can be part of that kingdom now. But he is the one that will return. And I believe when he returns, all these attributes that it talks about here in in Isaiah will be clearly evident. He will come. There will be no challenging his authority. There will be no... There will be no trying to decide if this is Jesus or not, like it was the first time he came. When he came as a baby, there was a lot of people that rejected him. They said, no, this this can't be the Messiah. But when he comes as king, there will be no question. We are told that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So I believe it's important for us to become part of that kingdom now. And it's, a, it's in this context that I believe Jesus was teaching throughout the New Testament. We, ne- we need to allow these teachings of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom to be what fills and what consumes us. As we study the Bible, as we, as we think about what Jesus taught about civil government, I believe we need to lay aside all our fleshly and selfish desires and the way that we think things should maybe be, the way that we think, the person that we think would maybe make a better president, the person that we think would make a better senator or a better whatever office it may be. I believe we need to lay those things aside and realize that we are part of Jesus' kingdom and it is, it is in God's control who he puts in those positions to fill those positions. Someday Jesus will return and he will rule as supreme. But I believe at this point, at this point in in God's plan, his kingdom here on this earth is represented by his church. Jesus brought in the new covenant to reestablish God's desire and design for humanity. And he wants us as his people, to live it out and to be that witness to the, to the rest of the world. We are called to be a salt and a light in this world. We are called to preach the gospel. There's nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in, in Jesus' teachings, that I have seen that we're called to 
take up political sides, that we're called to get involved in political offices. And I believe, just to make it practical, a lot of these things, or I believe this includes things like jury duty. I believe it includes any, any type of political office. I believe it includes voting for political offices. And I believe it even includes things that we may see as maybe kind of good, some of these, these uh, March for Life protests and, you know, different, different things like that where people try to lobby the government. If we go back to Romans chapter 13, we're told here that we need to be subject to the higher powers we're told to, to pay tribute or pay our taxes. It says, ye pay tribute, for they are God's ministers. Again, what, what Alvin mentioned, there's, there's two different groups here, and I don't, I don't believe God ever intended these two groups to mix. We're also told, we're specific, there's only a few things in the Bible that we are specifically told to pray for, and, and government authority is, is one of those things. In, in saying this, I don't, I don't, I'm not proposing that we become anti-government or anti-American. But I believe we need to consider the question again. What if Jesus actually meant every word that he said? How can we be followers of Jesus if we don't actually follow him? In 2 Corinthians we're called ambassadors. I think if we, I think I like the idea of being an ambassador for Christ. I think that represents a little clearer who we are as Christians rather than saying we're, we have a dual citizenship. Because as, as an ambassador, we're living in a country that's not our own. An ambassador does not take part in the in the political happenings of the country he's, he's in. He doesn't hold a political office. He doesn't vote for political offices. He's part of that country representing the country he came from, which I believe is, is a, a good picture of who we are as Christians. We are here in this world. We are here in, in America, but we are representing heaven, the country that we have been born into, the country that we have become citizens of, we are just simply here to represent that country. 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verse 18 and 20 here in closing. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Just again, verses showing how God changes us, and then us being those ambassadors, us spreading that 
spreading that what we have experienced, sharing that with others, and calling others to that same country that we now represent. Shall we kneel for prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the provisions that you have made for us. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity opportunity it is to be a part of your kingdom. God, I pray you would help us to, to study your word and to take your words literally to understand your teachings. I pray you would help us to be that salt and that light in this country that you have placed us in. I pray for this church here at Mine Road. God, I pray a blessing on them as they go throughout this next week, as they rub shoulders with with the people here. As they spread your light, God, I just pray your blessing, your protection with them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, really appreciated the uh, journey that we were on all the way from the fall in the garden where another kingdom came into existence. We were called to consider who we are and whose we are. Very clear teaching, I felt. And I liked, uh, Paul, when you mentioned about the two kingdoms how Christ's kingdom always was and it always will be. And someday we'll actually, if we're in the kingdom of Christ, we will experience and see the king of kings coming into his full power. I look forward to that. You also mentioned how we experience the new birth and then we become a part of his kingdom today. And we have access, or access might not quite be the right word, Christ's divine nature. And that helps us live in his kingdom, live out the teachings of Christ. I appreciate it, too, how you mentioned that we are to follow Christ. And are we followers of Christ if we don't follow his rules or his, the laws of the kingdom? And then how you closed with that we are ambassadors. And that gives us all something to work on, does it not? We are representative of Christ's kingdom. We are ambassadors. So how will we 
respond to that challenge in the coming days. We're representing Christ's kingdom here on earth. Yeah, well, I just really appreciated um, you even took the title maybe and changed it a bit, and I appreciated that. We are citizens of heaven. So I'm uh, going to extend an invitation for testimonies from you all. If I need to, I'll even call on someone. But Elvin, you want to bring the mic on up and see if there's somebody that has a testimony. I'd like to say thank you for preaching and for reminding us of our king being in heaven. And um, just in a Sunday school lesson, uh, one of the verses that uh, meant, uh, meant something new to me was the fact that our heart, our heart is the first thing that usually is drawn to God. And then our lives follow after, you know, mm. our performance follows after. But our heart is also the first thing that leaves God. And, um, and I, I believe that, you know, keeping in mind that my heart needs to follow Christ as my king helps me remember that I'm not a part of, uh, I'm not a part of the United States government as such. I'm a citizen here. But I'm not. I'm not called to, um, to 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 legislate what happens here, or um, even to affiliate myself with that. And thank you for that reminder.